Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. As you can see today from, um, from the title slide and from the bulletin today that the message is coming from uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Normally, when we think of the book of Revelation, we think of all the, the prophecy. But you know, um, all of God's Word is prophetic. And we're not going to be focusing on what does this mean and, and trying to map it out and being all academic today. We're going to be focusing on the word, the plain word of God that's written in this early part of the book. So before we get in, I think it's, it's, it's worth a, a bit of a recap that when you, well, just imagine. Imagine what it would be like if the cancel culture of today singled you out for preaching God's word and put you, sent you to a penal colony away from your church away from everything you know, to live with other prisoners, to cancel and nullify your word because of their fear. That's what happened to John, the author of uh, the book of Revelation. He found himself on an island called Patmos, and he was, as he said, on the Lord's Day in the Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be in the Lord's Day? He was, he was in the Spirit as he should be, And he had there appear before him the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared to him in this way. Jesus appeared among seven lampstands, which Jesus then later says to him, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And there's a lot I'd like to say about what that means, but let's just suffice it to say it's seven churches. And they all have a place like this. Okay? Then he's also in the vision he has in his hand seven stars. And the stars, he said, are the angels associated with the seven churches. Angels, messengers. It doesn't matter if they're human or angelic because what he says next is what we're going to explore today. He says... You see all this, I'm Jesus, seven lampstands, seven stars. I want you to dictate, John, you dictate seven letters. And I'm going to tell you what I want those angels to tell them. So whether it's angels or people, the letters were written to people like us, right? So... Let's stand to honor God in the reading of his word. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We'll pick up. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, uh uh-oh, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent 
and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds. Yes, hate. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They didn't hate the Nicolaitans. They hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. That's a passionate word, and keep that in mind. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. Praise God, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Praise his name. Thank you. All of God's people say amen, and we may be seated. Thank you. I hope I don't have a... Here we go. All right, well... There it is. I was kind of, well, just think, what if that was your letter? And uh, you were in here and, and you found an envelope and it said, to, to Don from Jesus, to Brent from Jesus. You know, they had some good news, right? You saw some bad news. So the good news is they had good orthodoxy. And any of you been to an orthopedic doctor, orthopedic surgeon? Okay, that ortho part, that means, to, that means straight, to correct, to make upright, to repair. But they had a good skeleton, let's say. They, the Ephesian church knew the scriptures and they adhered to sound doctrine. No doubt because they had an amazing pastor for three years. The Apostle Paul, he spent three years with them. He gave them the most solid doctrine that anyone could possibly have. But Paul also gave him something else that they'd forgotten was about their first love. But keep focused on They got good news. They knew the scriptures. They adhered to sound doctrine. They could spot a phony a mile away. Now, I didn't know this um, until recently. And I think I come across this working for Cummins. Weirdly enough. But to spot a phony, you don't look at phonies. You look at the real McCoy and you know it inside and out, like the back of your hand, until you know it so well that when you see one that doesn't match it, you know that's not it. Right? So, so the Ephesians, they had a good structure, they had a good skeleton, they had good bones. You could say that, like this lady, hey, you know what? That doesn't sound quite right. Or, yeah, that's a flower, but you know what? That doesn't smell right. You know? And this one, if it doesn't look right, and it doesn't sound right, and it smells a little off, it's off. Right? So the Ephesians were great at this. But then they had the bad news. Now remember, ortho is straight, upright, correct. They had poor orthopraxy. Now, what's orthopraxy? That's a fancy word. I like to say it. I'm just going to say it one or two more times and we'll move on. Orthopraxy is this. If orthodoxy is the skeleton, orthopraxy is the flesh on the bones. They had a great skeleton, but they were lean in the meat of, the, of, of action, the muscle, the, the sinew, the thing that animates, the thing that moves the skeleton was lacking. And that was their 
bad news. They had poor posture, good skeleton. They left their first love. That's the meat on the bones, and that's what Jesus was saying. But I want to make sure that we don't do this, because I've heard it taught this way. So this isn't Jesus saying, well, you did good orthodoxy at the expense of orthopraxy. That's not what he's saying. That's almost like saying, tone it down on your orthodoxy and bring up your orthodoxy. No way. It's both. He wants that orthodoxy on an 11, and he wants the orthopraxy on an 11 with it. So don't let anyone say, well, oh, no, you're, you're too focused on the word. No way. No way. You know what? God is right all the time. And he wants his people to be right. And when they're right, they honor him. But you can't just be right with your understanding of the word. You have to be right with your delivery of the word. So it's not an either or. So we want to know, well, they left the first love. What's that mean? I can tell you right now. I have books in my library. I have access to books. We have online. There's a world of knowledge and a little understanding today. So what is first love? I decided to just pray and, and see, see what I got. Well, first love to me, and I'm thinking through what I know the scriptures say about love, and we'll look at that in just a bit. The first love is a flirtatious kind of love. It's a courtship kind of love. And the words that kind of go with that is there's a yearning. There's a thrilling. There is passion. Attraction. There's a playfulness. And I will tell you, God is all of those things for us. Every one of those things. And if you're not feeling it and you're not experiencing it, then... Praise God, this letter to the Ephesians is for all of us. It's for us, right? Over time, that first love gets even better. More stuff comes, stuff you didn't expect. There's now a learning. You've learned each other. You're learning more about what it means to be in a relationship and not all this, hey, let's just run off together and have a dessert under the moonlight or whatever. You know, there's more to it. There's faithfulness that comes along. You know, there's with the passion comes compassion. With the attraction, there's this newfound affection. And it deepens. There's a gentleness that grows. And we learn in the scriptures that the Ephesians had some of these things, but not all of these things, right? They had, so if it's not a first love, let's call it maybe a second love or a next love. In a second stage of love, especially I think those of us who are married won't really argue unless you're one of those, one of the diff rare ones, let's just put it this way. A second love has all that great stuff, dependability, reliability, security, generosity, compassion, affection, uh, knowledge of each other. But the yearning and the thrilling, the attraction and the playfulness just like the font on here, it starts to fade just a little bit, right? Well, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the, with the learning and the faithfulness and, and the gentleness. That's great. That's foundational and that's good stuff. But it does mean that there's now this loss a little bit of that first honeymoon kind of love. And, you know, over time, it just 
fades and you've got the second love. I think that's what happened with the Ephesians. And looking at the scriptures, I believe it's this. Paul encountered the Ephesians and poured his heart out on them in the mid-A.D. 50s, 50 years after the birth of Christ, right? When the, when the Lord appeared to John, the Lord appeared to him, by the time John wrote this letter and pinned it down, it was somewhere in the A.D. 90s. That church that Paul labored so much for the new generation, the second generation had come. And they learned all these wonderful foundational love aspects from their spiritual mothers and their spiritual fathers. They learned the orthodoxy, but they weren't there for the passion. They didn't see it firsthand. And it may have started to be like die down, but after four decades, the babies that were born when Paul was there are now 40 years old. They were the ones at the helm. They're running the church. And they, as a second generation, either needed to discover or rediscover what is that first love. Praise the Lord. Revelation 2.5. Revelation 2.5. I want you to look at it if you have your Bible. I'm going to look at it again. <clears throat> So Revelation 2.5 says to do some simple stuff, where it sounds simple. And I've just learned over time to read the plain words on the page and just do what it says, right? So it says 2.5, remember, that's a verb, I can, got that one. From where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. That's some activity for me to correct my love problem. Remember, repent, and then on into the end of that verse, it says, if you don't, if you can't, whatever excuse you make, I will remove your lampstand from its place. That doesn't happen to Blessed Life Fellowship, right? We don't want to look at this as a forensic study on the Ephesians. If he's talking to us, we're going to remember, we're going to repent and we're going to keep the, the, the lampstand lit because you know what? It's so much easier to keep a fire lit than it is to rekindle it after it's died down. Praise the Lord today. Hallelujah. All right. So the words on the page, they come in this order. Remember came first and repent. You know, I don't, I think I've said this before. I don't argue with the Lord anymore. I don't second guess the Lord anymore. I just read the words that he gives me and I take them for what they are. Jesus said to do them in this order, remember and repent. So I'm going to start with uh, remember. Start with remember. So God, the good news is, it sounded pretty dire, but the good news is very good news. God gives second chances. If you have your bulletin, you got blanks there. The red words with the underline, that's a clue for you in your bulletin. God gives second chances to recapture first loves. Isn't he good? He's never not good, which means he's always good all the time. Praise his name. Second chances to capture first love. The fire of the first love is rekindled only through remembrance and repentance. And why do I say that? 
because if it took three things, Jesus would have said to give us three things to do, but he didn't. He said for us to remember and to repent. And you might argue if you look at the words and say, well, he said also and do. Well, I will challenge us to think differently and say, do is repent. Okay, we'll get into that later. Jesus said to remember first, I want to remember first. Well, I want to remember, then I must know somehow God doesn't ask us to do something he doesn't equip us to do. And he used a word in this scripture called agape. There are tons of words in Greek for agape. Or, I'm sorry, for love. Agape is the upper crust now, I don't want us to think this way. I don't want us to have these black and white lines and, and, and be so academic. I will challenge us to think of agape as the consummation of all those other love words. That it's not just unconditional universal, but it's also enduring, familial, brotherly, sisterly, romantic, um, a love for yourself because that's a second and great command. You're in it, right? And a playful, flirtatious love. I challenge you to think of it. God is all those things to you. And when he says agape, he means all of it. That's the kind of love they left. They had good stuff. They had the pragma. They had the, the storge and the philia. But I think they probably lost some of the eros, the romantic love. I think they had that wane there. Um, and ludus, which is that playful and flirtatious love. I would like for us then just to get to know the character of the God that loves us and how he loves us. If we remember how he loves us, surely that's the kind of love they forgot and that the Lord is wanting them to rekindle, right? Go with me to Hosea. Hosea chapter 2. If we don't think that God has an element of romance in his love for us, we need to think again. The scriptures are replete with God's romantic love for his church. In Hosea chapter 2, starting at verse 14, God is talking about his relationship with Israel. So this is back, this is the prophecy in the Old Testament. God's special people, Israel, the church of the day. And here's what God is saying to them. Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I'm going to use the New Living Translation for this one. Um, God says, I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak ten tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into the gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago and she, when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. Verse 19, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. That is a romantic love that God has for us. And as we go, and I want you look, look at these words and the types, I can tell you I've experienced the playful and flirtatious love of God. We might actually get to take a closer look at that um, today as, as we move on. All right, so the word agape 
That's the kind of love the Ephesians neglected. So in your bulletin, I, I was talking to the pastor this morning after I, I set all this up. It's like, you know, that, the bulletin, I would, I'd rather you strike it out because I think the bulletin says the kind of love the Ephesians had left. And it sounds like that's the good kind and they had it. So the, the point is the kind of love the Ephesians neglected was agape love. Jesus didn't reprimand them because they had no love at all. They had just lost some of these more passionate uh, aspects of their love, the flame or the fire. Remember, remember the kind of love is the agape love when you remember the passion of Jesus Christ. Jesus, passion is expressed in emotion. But more than emotion, passion is expressed in sacrifice. Amen? Two of us. All right, good. Hey, no one wants to be alone. All right. Passion is expressed in emotion. Passion is expressed in sacrifice. There was an ounce, or was not an ounce, of self-serving blood in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who left a throne to sacrifice his body for our sins. Not one ounce. If Jesus, if you ask him, do you want to come to earth and be crucified? I think the answer is, i rather not. <laughs> right? But what did he say in the garden? Not my will. Your will. Sacrifice to his Father. Being in agony, he sweat drops of blood. That blood that come out of him wasn't because of worry for him. Not to the point of the fact that he was worried for you enough to go through the agony. Yeah, he dreaded it. He sacrificed his comfortability. I, I don't know what else to say. The passion of Jesus fuels our passion. That's what we need to remember. We remember also that it's not just the passion of the Lord. If the Lord poured His passion on us, He gave us such a supply that we can share passion for all eternity and never run out because there's an infinite supply of passion in Jesus. The passion of Paul happened in Ephesus, this very church where the letter was written. It says the passion of Paul uh, happens in Acts 20. He said, for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. There was not one ounce of self-serving tears in that Apostle Paul. Those tears were squeezed from his eyes because of his sacrifice and his love, his agape, his first love that he was pouring out in Ephesus. And only that, he didn't get financial support. He said for three years... He was there three years and he said, these hands provided for my necessities. If that's not passion, I don't know what passion is. I'm going to come live with you three years, send you no bill, expect nothing from you, teach you night and day with tears in my eyes. That is pouring out your heart. And it wasn't that the Ephesians didn't have agape. They surely had it. They, they, they had it because their, their shepherd had it. And when they found out they're going to lose their great shepherd, Paul, look at what happens in Acts chapter 20. 
They wept freely, openly, men and women. Public display of affection, they fell on Paul, they fell on his neck, and they kissed him. Agape love is characterized by passion, and passion is a willingness to sacrifice. One way to remember is to look at your family photos. Now, you young people, you don't know what it's like to have to, where's that photo album? And you page through, no, it's over here, it's this page. They've got their pictures all named, indexed, they're on their phone, infinite memory and all the whatnot. But we used to have to do the whole book thing. But if you page through your precious family moments, we're all in God's family, right? They didn't have photography back then, so I had to use my imagination and some play actors. But these are precious family moments. Can't we remember them? I might suggest that we get an illustrated Bible or develop even better yet, enlarge our hearts so that our imagination paints pictures for us when we read the Word, right? Thank you. Thank you. Precious family moments. Here's a precious family moment. Digital photography. That's Samara. That's Samara's honeymoon. Isn't that something? She was baptized uh, in the Flat Rock River. I can't wait till that happens for me. I was baptized in a tank of water. So not that I think I have to get a refresh to be saved with the Lord, but I would so love to have the experience to be baptized in running water. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to jump on that. All right. All right. So Samara, uh, Samara's honeymoon there. Um, Remember your spiritual mothers and fathers. This is my poppy rooter. This man was a soldier in World War II. He was called by his country to serve. He crawled in the mud in the night in France and in Germany on his elbows and knees, he said, to avoid the enemy fire because he was on a mission for democracy, for freedom. And he had his life on the line, his skin in the game, young man, bullets overhead. They liberated city after city in France. Look at the joy on their face. And they could smell the victory coming. They had overcome because they, they had the prize in their mind. Freedom and democracy is worth dying for. It's worth sacrificing for. They had a passion. They had an agape that sent them through the mud and kept them going in a light at the end of the tunnel. That's my Poppy Rooter. Poppy Rooter was a saint. He came back into the United States, the land that he helped to liberate, and the Lord called him to be a preacher. He was a soldier and he was a saint. His obituary said that... He was a wonderful man who loved the Lord with all his heart. Whew. You know, go with me to the book of Hebrews. We have to remember church. We can't be asleep and we can't forget. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 35. 
Poppy Rooter crawled through the mud in the night with bullets whizzing over his head. Others were tortured, we said, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Scripture says that the world was not worthy of the sacrifice of the prophets who wandered naked and hungry. This generation that we're in, the spoiled generation, does not seem worthy of the sacrifice made by thousands of men and women like Poppy Rooter. I'm not going to let them forget. We need to wake up. We need to remember the agape love of our spiritual mothers and fathers in Christ. We need to keep their passionate love alive and not allow their testimony to get canceled by this culture. We've got to take back our neighborhood and our community and our country for Jesus. And if we wake up and we remember, then they will too. It's on us, folks. We have to wake up and we have to remember. Scroll of remembrance is a good way to remember. Malachi chapter 3, you don't have to go there. I've, uh, I can read this, but if you can get there, it's worth it. Mark it. A good way to remember and never forget is to write stuff down. Write stuff down. Malachi 3, 16, those who feared the Lord spoke with each other and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On that day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. Praise the Lord. A scroll of remembrance, but who's Oscar Peters and who's Bill Scott? Who's Geneva Sane? You know, we're going to hear more about them as we go. But just because I know I build up all this mystery and tension, I'll give you a little bit. Bill Scott was a mentor of mine when I was a young minister in the Lord. And he came to help me. <laughs> And I'll never forget him. He's on my scroll of remembrance and he's on the Lord's scroll of remembrance. His name's written on the Lord's book of life. And he's with the Lord today, as a matter of fact. Oscar Peters was a man I ministered to that ended up ministering to me as the way it often happens. And so was Geneva saying. We'll hear more about them later. But wow, what can I say about this? If we remember anything, we remember the passion of Christ because it's the passion of Christ that is the power of the church. 
It's the passion of Christ that is the purpose of the church. If, if it's not about Jesus, it's not. If it's not about Jesus, it's not. Amen? Praise the Lord. Jesus' passion poured out eternal, infinite supply of forgiveness. Eternal, infinite supply of agape on me. How dare I hold it back and be stingy with it? He poured it out on all of us. There's an eternal, infinite supply of agape, and we keep it in a can. We can't. We have to remember what it cost him. That's what it cost him. Whips and nails and humiliation. Praise God he rose in power. Oh, my hero forever and ever. If it's not about Jesus, it's for not. That's where our love comes from. And that's our mission. Praise the Lord. Okay. Revelation 2.5. The Ephesian church was at risk. Said to remember, we've gone through the scriptures and we've been on a little bit of a stroll down memory lane, haven't we? It's time to look at the second part. Second part is repent. You see, it can't be just one it takes two sticks to create friction. And that's how you start a fire, right? Remember and repent. Those are the keys to rekindling the flame. Bulletin time. Got one empty blank here. Repentance requires a change of heart and mind evidenced by a change of... And it didn't say just repent. It said repent and do. Repent and do the first works. It's a change of behavior. Once you remember, and it does something to you, it's like, uh-uh, I am not going to let that erase that. My poppy's name is in the book of life. He's eternal. He's in heaven. His testimony is eternal. I'm not going to have it shunned. I'm going to mention him till my dying day. He's my spiritual father. I might not even know the Lord if it weren't for him. I owe him and I'm going to honor him. I got to change my behavior because so long I sat quiet and thought about my dear Poppy Rooter, and didn't say anything to anybody. That's not right. That's not right. We can't do it. And it's not just that you all have a Poppy Rooter. You have a mammal somebody, or a mom, or an uncle, or even someone just in your neighborhood, of someone that you bumped into. Somebody spoke the word of God to you and changed your eternal destiny. Praise God. We're going to have to change your behavior because we owe telling of that story. Acts chapter 21. Please open the Bible. Please open a Bible. Acts chapter 21. I'm going to have to pick one of my Bibles here. See how fast I can see if I can beat you to, to the book of Acts. Oh, I'm sorry. John 21. Thank you, Pastor. I tricked myself first. Then I was going to trick everybody else. 
Yeah, it's, it's uh, John 21. John 21. All right. Repent and do. Repent and do. Do you remember Peter? I, I feel so bad for Peter because his story keeps over and over about Peter needed to repent because, well, geez, how would you like that for all eternity? He's, we're no better, people. You know, when we get in eternity, we're all going to have the same... I, it's, we're going to realize we were probably did more denying than Peter ever did. Under less pressure. Right? Right? Under less pressure. So let's not pile it up there. Here's what we need to do. Jesus knew that Peter was in the state where he needed to be restored. So he says to him in John 21, 15, so when they had eaten breakfast. Jesus had resurrected and he's walking with him. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? In other words, do I have your first love more than these? Do I have everything? Am I the one? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And that is the agape. I looked it up before I made the the, put it in the, in the message today. Do you agape me more than these? And he said, yes. And he said, what? He didn't say, oh, okay, good. He said, okay, then feed my lambs. He gave him a job to do, right? If you love me, show me. Don't just tell me. So here's the exercise and why I wanted you to go there. You know that note section on the back of the bulletin? You can use that. You don't have to really literally write it down because you, you have an imagination that God gave you. You're a wonderful, uh, created in, in such a wonderful way. You've got an imagination, but you can write this down. Write down, if it were me, I'll just use my name, Brent, son of, and then I would write in my parents' names, and then I would write, do you love me more than these? Or do you, do I have your first love? And this from Jesus to me. And then I would write, yes, absolutely, I do. Now fill in this blank. Jesus is going to answer me and say, okay, then do this. What would he tell you to do? He didn't call everyone to be pastors. He called Peter to be a pastor. Feed my sheep. That's what pastors do. Tend my flock. He, Peter, that's nice. He got that cleared up. What's my, what's my ministry? Oh, well, you're a pastor. Feed my sheep. What would he say to you? That's something for you to take um, with you. And while we're at, that, while we're at it, I put myself in this position. What if I came to church and it wasn't just about the Ephesians or all the congregation? What if it got down to the personal level? And the pastor, who would be the angel of the church at Blessed Life, sort of equivalent, came to me and he said, well, something amazing happened to me. Last Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit and Jesus appeared and he said, he wanted me to write this letter and give it to you, Brent. 
I don't know about you, but if I would be fear and trembling just reaching for the envelope. I know what he said to the Ephesians. That's tough enough. We've been talking about it for quite a while this morning, right? What would he say to me? I think I Wow, if we think we're standing on solid ground, we better be careful. What's, he, you know, what's in your letter? Wow, I don't know. I don't worry about that so much. I got to take care of my letter too. You know, we're all in it together. I think he has a letter for each of us. And I think the Holy Spirit will read it to us if we spend time with him. Because I have a pretty good idea what he might have to say to me. And that's the same for all of us, isn't it? Yes, it is. There just seems to be this language that I'm reading here in Revelation 2 because he said, you've lost your first love. Remember and repent. And then he said, do the first works. First love and first works have a relationship. They're connected, aren't they? Absolutely connected in God's Word today. Revelation chapter 2, first love, first works, and you combine those two and whoosh, that's the sound. If you've ever gotten up cold because you were camping and you let your fire burn out, you've got to get down on your knees and blow on the fire to get it going. And you put leaves on it, right? And there's ember and you get a stick and you kind of get the hot embers and you put little twigs and you blow. And finally, woof! But you know, maybe that's what we need to do is get on our knees to rekindle this fire. Because once we let the fire go out, you have to get on your knees to get it going again. And that might be a very big key to what we need to be doing. And Lord, I can tell you when you wake up at 4.30 in the morning because you're an early riser and because everybody in, in the tent and in the bunkhouse snores because they're all old guys like you and, you're, and the fire went out because the person tending the fire gave up on it and you're up. You really want to start a fire at 4.30 in the morning in the woods because it's cold, Right? So you start doing whatever it takes. All right. Well, repent and do the first works. Matthew chapter 25 gives us an image of, of the throne judgment. And Jesus has an opportunity here where he's welcoming in, welcoming in those that are going to inherit eternal life. And they're, they're kind of befuddled because they're, they're sort of a humble bunch. But he said, he said, Welcome this, to, to this eternal paradise. I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you visited me. Well done, here's your reward. And they said, Lord, when did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and give you food and drink? And when did we see you in prison and come to visit you. And Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of any of these, you did that to me. 
If we love each other, we're loving Jesus. If we pour our first works to restore our first love, and we love one another, Jesus said that's how they'll know your mind, your love for one another. If we pour our works out on each other in the name of Jesus, we're doing it for Jesus. Scroll of remembrance. I want to be like Tabitha. Tabitha, who fondly um, remembered for all eternity. Why? Because she did the first works. She put her agape into action. This was the um, reference to Acts, and I'm not kidding this time. You can go to Acts chapter 9. I'll read it. You don't really have to go there, but please follow if you, if you want. Acts chapter 9. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha. She was always doing good things for others and helping the poor. Wasn't that the same ones Jesus mentioned that got fed and, 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 and gave drink and water and probably she gave them clothing? I know she did because it mentions it right here. It says, and this was, she became ill and died and her body was washed and she was laid in the upstairs room. But the believers heard Peter, praise God, there's hope here, was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men, please come as soon as possible. So even though she was dead, there was a famous evangelist nearby and they called that little glimmer of light so Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him upstairs. Now get this. This is just a lady that made some clothing and did good things for the poor, right? The room was filled. Her funeral was packed. It was filled with those, and they were weeping and showing Peter the coats and other clothes that she had made for them. They had some gratitude. She had done their, her first works and had shown their first love. You know, my poppy Reuter, when he passed, there was a line out the door, down the block, and down the next block. My kids, who were a second generation poppy to, to that relationship, they're like, where, what? And I said, oh, you have no idea. I should have done better as, as, a, as a father to my kids and honor my grandpa. You have no idea what that man has done in the name of Jesus Christ. People were coming up to me I didn't even know. Your grandfather did this. Your grandfather changed me. Your grandfather went nobody else. And it went on for hours. Hours. This was a country man with sixth grade education. Maybe eighth. I can't remember. And it wasn't beyond the eighth grade. Hundreds of people. I want to, to wonder what's going to happen when I'm in the box. Who's going to show up? What have I done? What have you done? Let's live our lives like tomorrow's our last day. Because you know, it could be. It could always be. Tabitha, immortalized in Scripture because she made some clothes and took care of the poor. Oscar Peters. Well, what about Oscar? Oscar Peters is in heaven today. 
I was his pastor in the mountains of Tennessee. Oscar was an older gentleman. And I don't know what it was, but Oscar poured his favor on me. And I think he could see I needed help. <laughs> you know how it is. And uh, Oscar honored me. This was, not, this was not given to me in a will. This was while he was living. He gave me, because he would fill in preaching. As a matter of fact, when I came there, he was filling in. He gave me his sermons. Just gave them to me. Oh, I could just start preaching these things, right? Look at this. He's got his hand right on here. Well, you know, I didn't get to know Oscar as long as I want because we don't live forever. But Oscar was living like he should be living. He was doing good works for, for people he loved. This is my note I wrote after he passed away in 1997. 97. And I wrote it with this purple ink that's kind of bled in here. But I do remember writing this, and it says, I was saying this to our, to our church family after Oscar passed. I said, you know, Brother Oscar was indeed a man who walked not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. He was sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And for this reason, he is free this morning and forevermore from the law of death. Because... Death has been swallowed up in life. And that I will never forget Oscar Peters. And to help me remember, it's because he did one of these first works on me. Praise the Lord, right? Bill Scott. You know, Jesus said, well, I was in prison and you came to visit me. And some of you have a jail ministry and bless your hearts. You... I think you've got the Lord's heart. And sometimes we're in a prison that's not got, um, that's not got iron bars. I, I was once in a prison of my own mind. And I felt like the devil was trust, trying to, to consume me. And that's when Bill Scott came along. Bill Scott came along and offered to be my mentor without saying, you need a mentor. He became my mentor and he earned being my mentor because he loved me. He loved me, why? Because of me? No, he loved me because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of our fathers and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit told him he had to love me and he probably wasn't real happy about that, but he did. And this is what he gave me. He gave me his Hebrews a book that he got in seminary when he was a young preacher trying to learn from God's Word and he spent time with me showing me how to build a porch and while we were building my porch he would talk to me and minister some to me and then he, he gave me you know this dirty yellowed paper this is how they got things done back in the days kids he actually had to push the typewriter key in it it was a machine and it typed the letter it went click and it took some exercise. People had strong fingers back in the day. Don't mess with us. This is his type notes and some handwritten notes. That's love, my friends. Especially when you want to be a minister of God's Word, to have a senior minister of God's Word give you his seminary material and, um, and his own handwritten notes. That's doing the first works. 
There's Geneva saying, Lord, help me get through this one. Geneva Sane was bedridden. She was in a nursing home in Greenville, Tennessee. And I would go to visit her. She was the mother of one of the congregants of the Long Creek Christian Church, where I was a young pastor back in those days. I would go to visit her. And it wasn't long before I didn't look at it like, hey, the pastor's going to go visit the mother of, of someone. And, and I started to want to go visit her. I mean, sincerely, because... She was ministering to me. You know, I didn't know it when they asked me, can I go minister to her that really what God had in mind was for me to get ministered to? I can't tell you what that means to me. I would be with her and I would hold her hand and you could just tell she loved the Lord. She didn't have much. But you know what she did have? She had a roll of paper towels and a box of magic markers. She talked to me enough to know that my dream was to have a log cabin in the mountains. And she drew this for me on paper towels with magic markers. Mountain folk art changed my life. I will not forget Geneva saying, thank you, Lord. Samantha. Sorry, baby. We was early in our relationship, and we were struggling financially. You know, those are some nice times after they pass. <laughs> you know, at the time, it didn't seem so good. But uh, we, you know all that we've been through. And with her sweetheart, rather than spend money, she made this. And the kids put in little love notes in here. I took them out because if you guys get Snoopy, I didn't want to get embarrassed because there was some of that romantic, flirtatious kind of love in here too. But on the box, it says, when you feel sad or blue, open this box and remember, remember how much we love you. Happy Valentine's Day. I will have this... Till my dying day, Samara has watched her daddy study for years, and she knows daddy may have seven, eight, nine books open, <laughs> handmade bookmarkers. I would be lost without them, you know? And it's not just that each one of them has a Christian uh, cross. Each one is, there's not two the same. She does each by hand. She's got some laminated with different color ribbons, and uh, she made uh, one or two by special request. And I will have these with me until my dying day. Thank you. Labor of love, Samara. And you know what? There's too many to mention because you've already changed my life here. You're my family. And the Blessed Life Fellowship has blessed my life with a first works and a first love. And I thank you all for it. Heidi Rowe, I asked, what are your healing scriptures? And I don't know if many of you, I, Heidi and I have some things in common when it comes to healing and our journeys and what we've had to deal with and been through and experience in the Lord's healing. And she wrote them for me.
I think they're getting kind of famous now. I think I heard, heard a printer going off yesterday. She wrote these for me, and I, I begin to meditate these, and I begin to pray these out loud and walk my house and say these and declare these. And you know, they say you, you came into the world with nothing, and when you leave, you can't take anything with you. I'm going to defy that. All this paper won't go with me. But these words are written in my heart, and my heart's going to heaven, and I'm taking it with me all the way. Thank you. Praise God. And this one is Poppy Reuter again. Hey, you know, Poppy Reuter wrote, and he, this is his writing, he says, my first three songs written by me, Romar, that's his name, Romar. That's why he wouldn't be called Poppy. What if you were Romar? You'd want to make up a different name too, right? I mean, don't get down on him. He just... Poppy was a nice cover for Romar. So he wrote, first three songs written by Romar. Here's the titles, and I guarantee you can't listen to these. It's just him and a guitar, and you will bawl if you listen to this. Liberty Through the Blood. Look and hear, and through the blood shed on the tree. You know it's a serious business when you're picking a guitar and crooning to the Lord. That's some kind of first love, don't you think? Yes, Poppy Rooter's famous songs. And I will let anyone that would like to hear these, I don't mind re-recording or getting these to if you if you are genuinely interested. We need to repent and do the works, and that will spark us back into the land of the living where we belong. And this earth is not our home, but yet we live in it. And we have a mission to do, and we're not going to do that mission if we forget. And we're not going to do that mission if we don't love on each other in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, we need to keep our eye on the prize. And so we're told in Revelation 2-7 about that prize. If we remember and we repent and we rekindle that flame... To those who overcome, I will give to eat the right to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. We have to keep our eye on the prize. Now, what's that? Well, the prize is heaven. It's all eternity. Well, that's easy to say. Well, maybe a picture or some sound effects would help. People buy a book from a, a trusted saint We've had people that have experienced heaven and come back to tell about it. The pastor would probably be able to recommend a book or, or Pastor Donna would recommend a book and, uh, and others. But the scripture tells about it so much, we really don't need that much. We need to keep our eye on the prize. Now, I want to tell this story because this is worth telling. And I believe it was Wednesday, checking with Samara. Wednesday. So Samara loves... One thing that we have that we've bonded is reading books. So we've just finished a book the second time around called Frindle, which is my nickname for her now, by the way. She's my little Frindle. Um, she said, Dad, I want to order a new copy of The Little Prince, and I want to read it when we get it. Can we read it together? And I said, well, sure. That sounds like a good time, right? In the meantime, I'm preparing a message for this week. I have studies to do at Liberty University, and my job 
is going on at Cummins and others, some other responsibilities, right? So in my responsible life, I have to read this book. No, it's Greek. It's not geek for life. <laughs> it's Greek. There's an R. Greek for life, right? And I procrastinated. Embarrassing. This book comes to my house on Wednesday. The Little Prince. Wednesday, she gets this book. Wednesday, I go to the men's group, and I come back, and I dutifully, as I'm getting ready to go to sleep, think, I've got to be doing this Greek for life. I kid you not, I've got this, my daughter's going to read to me, and I turn to the page that I left off the day before, and I get there, and I'm not reading too long, and it says, to get a passion to learn and to read Greek every day. That's what they want us to be, passionate about reading Greek. And uh, I'm trying. So I read this and it says, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And I thought, that's inspiring, right? The author of The Little Prince. Now I'm about to jump out of bed. The author of The Little Prince said, this, if you want to get passionate, he said, if you want to build a ship, for example, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work. Rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. If they, if they have a, a, a heart and a yearn to be in the sea, they will learn how to put together a ship and they'll learn how to sail. But they won't have anything but drudgery if they don't have a passion for the sea. I had to quote both, both books. Both. In one day, you talk about getting a two for one. That quote come from both these books. Both of them. On the same day. It's in that book and it's in this book. And then get on what it's like. Now I've got the fear and trembling part. It's like, yes, Lord, I think that might be the flirtatious kind of love, right? It might be his flirtatious kind of love with me. But I go on and it says, it says, then the author of this book, the geek book, says, when you see the way you choose to spend your time, what does it say about what you actually love? The Lord's handed me my sermon. I just I couldn't believe it. I said, in light of God's word, what is he calling you to do about your loves? Are they in a proper relationship with Jesus? Woo! Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. If that won't set you free, I'm afraid nothing will. <laughs> afraid nothing will. Keep your eye on the prize. We have a prize. Paul said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Praise his name. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. I will give you to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 22, and we're ready to close. We're getting close, but let this 
Let this help you to remember. Let this return you to your first works. And let this recapture and rekindle your first love. Revelation chapter 22, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit in every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Praise ye, Lord. And there shall be no more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, praise the Lord, and his name shall be on their forehead. They shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Praise God. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things that must take place. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. We don't have time. We don't have time to warm up. We've got to light the fire. Our, if Jesus doesn't come tomorrow, he may come to get you tomorrow. We don't have time to, to be concerned with our petty differences anymore, do we? No, we've got to get over that stuff. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly in verse 12. My reward is with me. I want that reward, don't you? Yes. He said, give to everyone according, he would give to everyone according to the work. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Praise his name. We can't forget and we don't have time to just sit and contemplate we need to remember our first love, and we do that when we repent and do the first works. I pray a blessing over all of you today. Lord, my God, thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for your promises are always yes and amen. Lord, we accept all that you've done. And Lord, for anyone that's hearing this on the recording, and those that are here in the audience here, Lord, at Bless Life Fellowship, today's the day. We have pastors, we have elders. If you need prayer, if you want to return to your first love, you can come up. They will be glad to receive you today. Lord, my God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you most of all for your agape love poured out on us in abundance and eternal life in the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, forever and ever. Hallelujah and amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Brent. Hallelujah. You know, let me add one thought here, and then I'm going to let you go. As Brent was ministering, um, the Lord just, I think, put a word picture in my mind, and sometimes um, the Lord will talk to you like that. The Lord will talk to you in word pictures. So I, I want you to understand, this is just kind of a side note, and I'm going to share with you my word picture, but just a side note. Sometimes if uh, you're listening to the word being proclaimed and you get a word picture, that's probably the Holy Spirit trying to tell you something. And the word picture that I believe the Holy Spirit gave me for uh, our congregation, based upon Brent's excellent teaching this morning, was um, Donna and I both 
we drink these smoothies every day, like a fruit smoothie or a protein smoothie, what have you. And sometimes if you make that smoothie and you set it aside, there's a sediment that starts to build on the top. And it's not quite as yummy when you let it sit for a while and that you let that sediment start to, to form on the top. The Bible says to stir yourself up in your most holy faith. And it's like taking that protein shake that sat for a while and that, that's allowed that sediment to begin to form, and you've taken that thing and you're swirling it around or you put it back on the you know, bullet blender or whatever, and you get it all smooth again and maybe put some ice in it and make it palatable again, and you can enjoy it better the next time. I just believe that that's the word picture that the Lord put in my heart as Brent was ministering about rekindling the fire, and that's that we need to restir our protein shake. We need to rekindle that fire. We need to stir ourselves up in our most holy faith. Don't wait for somebody else to come along to stir you up. The Bible says you do it. You stir yourself up in your most holy faith. Do you feel like that you're beginning to get dry spiritually? Are you feel like you're beginning to get lukewarm spiritually? Stir yourself up in your most holy faith. Rekindle the fire. It's not always up to somebody else. Now, you can hear a message like this and get rekindled. Amen. That's why you come to church and you hear a message like that and it re reminds you, yeah, man, I need, to, I need to stir myself up. I need to rekindle myself. I need to keep that passion on the forefront of my mind and heart every day and not let that passion wane because it will. You've heard me talk about the law of entropy before, the second law of thermodynamics for those of you that like science. The second law of thermodynamics says anything left to itself without some type of energy injected into it will devolve to a lower state of existence. That mean, what that means spiritually is if you don't keep yourself stirred up in your most holy faith every day, then you're going to start to go backwards. If you're not going forward, you're probably going backwards. So Brent, thank you for that excellent teaching, brother. That was real. Yeah. Hallelujah.